morning, everyone. Welcome in the name of our risen Savior. Um, we're going to take a look at just one book in the book of Judges. Uh, it's, it's a paradox wrapped in an enigma. I'll explain what that means as we go along. This is a story of a man with incredible physical strength and spiritual weakness. Samson was nevertheless used of God as an instrument to rescue Israel from the cruel Philistines. In light of these contrasts, we are faced with a key question. What exactly are we to make of Samson and his place in the Lord's purposes? We will see vital theological lessons here and explore what this judge, Samson, tells us about Christian living today. Now, Samson's story begins in the 13th chapter of the book of Judges. Again, we'll see how important context is. Judges is a record of Israel's unique leaders of the time and its spiritual decline. The Hebrew word judges means deliverer or savior. Samson's story must be viewed as just one episode in the entire book of Judges. He personifies Israel's 40-year decline into apostasy from Joshua's death until Samuel. In Joshua, the people were obedient to God. In Judges, they were disobedient. Judges is thematic rather than chronological. Foremost among the themes is God's power and mercy graciously delivered to the Israelites despite the consequences of their repeated backsliding. All these judges themselves were limited in their capabilities. In fact, each seemed to have some defect. Of course, this is never a, a hindrance to our sovereign God. There's nothing he cannot do. None of them were national leaders who appealed to the total nation like Moses or Joshua. Backsliding and the amazing grace of God in recovery and restoration is the theme of Judges. Yet Samson's story is different. At first reading, it seems to be an enigma, a mystery as we look at his spiritual journey. Hopefully this morning, we're going to gain some clarity to this amazing yet tragic story. Please join me in prayer before we proceed. Father God, I thank you that somehow you see that I'm worthy to represent you this morning. I want you to know I cannot do this on my own. I need you, Lord, to help me. Now, gird me up. May the Spirit move through me, Lord. And may my words be uh, understood and they all bring glory to you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> this is a story of power and great potential that ends with defeat and tragedy. Yet Samson was a man of both great sin and great faith. This is true of Samson, and yes, it can be true of us today. Despite a series of warnings and spiritual failures, Samson repeatedly falls into carnality. Sadly, there is no restoration. Instead, we're going to see disappointment. As I said, 
all the judges were imperfect and insufficient as saviors of Israel. Israel, like each of us, needs a perfect savior. Samson personified Israel itself in its spiritual failings. Within the repeated, repeated apostasy of Israel, we see Samson emerge as one of Israel's outstanding judges during his 40 years of oppression by the Philistines. Samson had so many glorious opportunities, more than any other man ever had. His life, though, ends tragically. He only partially delivered Israel from the Philistines. The small civil war that began in Jephthah's day, he was the ninth judge, got bigger and bigger. Yet, the book of Judges and Samson's stories ends in absolute confusion and disappointment. In chapter 13, we see an angel appears to Manoah's wife, who is barren. The angel tells her she's going to bear a baby boy. He gave her specific instructions of her coming baby boy. He will not drink wine or any strong drink. He will not eat any, eat any unclean thing. And he will not have contact with a dead body, nor allow a razor to touch his head or shave, for he will be a Nazarite dedicated to God. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Note the word begin. God's mandate will temporarily remain unfinished pending a real savior. God's mandate is going to be realized as Manoah's wife is visited by an angel and uh, she goes and tells her husband about the appearance of the angel and what the angel had told her, Manoah promptly and correctly went to the Lord in prayer asking for further instructions. A God again sends the angel to his wife. After the angel spoke to her again, she ran to her husband and told him about this second appearance. Manoah returned to the site and found him. Manoah asked the angel some important questions about the birth of his son. What is to be the child's manner of life? And what is to be his mission? This is an important question for all new parents today. The angel repeated the admonitions and prophecy that he had given to Manoah's wife previously. Like any good Jew of the time, Manoah invited the angel to stay for dinner. Now he declined and uh, told Manoah to instead prepare a burnt offering. At this time, Manoah thought the angel was merely another man. When Manoah prepared the burnt offering of grain and a young goat, he and his wife stood there and watched the flames reach up towards heaven. Manoah then saw that the angel went up with the flames towards heaven. It was then that Manoah realized the angel was, rather the man was an angel. Manoah's wife would later bear a son, and they called him Samson, meaning little son, S-U-N. The boy grew and was blessed by God. Samson was called to God to do a great task of delivering Israel from the domination of the Philistines. He could have done it, 
but he didn't. Now, contrary to Hollywood's portrayal of Samson we've seen in a few movies over the years, his strength was not in his arms, although he once killed a thousand Philistines at one time. Samson's strength was not in his back, although he carried the gates of Gaza on his back 40 miles as a prank after escaping from the Philipp uh, Philistines. I could find nothing in this book that describes Samson's physical appearance other than his healthy beard and head of hair. Samson's strength was only the result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. You know, I think God was even more glorified if Samson had a body something like Deputy Barney Fife from the Andy Griffin show. When Samson's hair was cut, he was weak because the Spirit of God had departed from him. Why? Because Samson had failed his vow. He had not made good. Now in chapters 14 and 15, we see that the Spirit of God repeatedly rushed upon Samson as he performed great feats of courage and strength as he, when he killed a lion with his bare hands. He even killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And for, unfortunately, many of his countrymen rejected his efforts at organizing and defeating the Philistines. Doesn't this sound a little like the Europeans' attempt to assuage the Nazis during their rise to power? They were initially willing to make concessions. They wanted accommodation rather than confrontation. Like the Israelites, they and we paid a dear price. As a young man, Samson went down to Timnah in Philistine country where he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now he liked what he saw. It appears that Samson didn't have the nerve to go to this Philistine girl and her father and ask to marry him. Now here's a young man who by the power of God killed a lion with his bare hands yet has his parents do his romantic bidding. It's important to know here that the Philistines were not among the seven nations of Canaan which Israel was specifically uh, forbidden to marry into. Nonetheless, Samson's choice was seriously flawed. He sins here, but God and his sovereignty turn the situation for his glory. God gives him victories over the wicked Philistines only because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 29, we read, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. God often chooses these foolish things, the base, the despised, and the weak to do his work. When God wants that kind of man or woman, he can make them strong. The Israelites saw only the physical feats of Samson, not the spirit of God. They were timid and held back from organizing under Samson to defeat the Philistines. The world is always looking for strong things, powerful things. 
That's the reason why they wanted to know the human source of Samson's strength. They were like an audience watching an illusionist perform his tricks. They were beguiled and wanted to know his secret. Consider David, just a boy who brought down a giant Philistine with a rock and a sling. Doesn't that make God's glory even bigger and grander? Who are our heroes today? Are they scientists, surgeons, teachers, or even theologians? No. Sadly, our culture today admires and even obsesses over actors, athletes, and rock stars, many with questionable character. This phenomena reminds me of the hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story, wherein in the third stanza we sing, Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. Yes, and when this world's glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes thee whole. When the Spirit of God came upon Samson, he was a strong man. The people initially admired him and wanted to know his secret. They, real, they didn't realize his secret was the Spirit of God. Now getting back to romance. We see in chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, that Samson is smitten with this young Philistine girl. Samson, with his father, make the initial overture to her and her father. Samson had ignored his parents' admonition not to marry a Philistine. They encouraged him to marry an Israelite girl. While Samson and the Philistine girl do marry, we never learn her name. His parents did not know that it was the Lord's purpose for Samson to marry this Philistine girl. He would gain an advantage against the Philistines who then dominated Israel. This was supposed to be Samson's ruse to deliver Philistine, uh, Israel from the Philistines. This good beginning is soon abandoned as Samson's attention is drawn away to carnality. The initial clue of Samson's Carnality is seen when en route to Timnah with his parents, they walk through one of the vineyards of Timnah. As a Nazarite, Samson was strictly forbidden to make contact with strong drink or even grapes. As they were passing through the vineyard, apparently Samson was briefly separated from his parents. Now during this time, he was confronted by a lion. Without any weapon, Samson, filled with the spirit of God, tore the lion to bits with his bare hands. He did not tell his parents what he had done. He then meets this young girl. After a while, he returns to take the girl as his wife. En route, he sees the carcass of the lion he had killed. Now there was a bee nest in it, dripping with honey. He eats some honey and takes some to his parents. This was Samson's second violation of his Nazarite vow. Then there was a wedding feast, lasting one week at the girl's father's house. All the attendees were Philistines except for Samson and his parents. As was the custom of the time, some of the entertainment was in the form of riddles offered to challenge the guests. Now Samson, always the show-off, offers the following riddle to the Philistine guests. <clears throat> Let me now put a riddle to you. If you could tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, 
and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. The Philistine guests could not, after three days, expound the riddle. On the seventh day, the guests were still unable to solve this riddle. They went to Samson's bride and told her to entice Samson to tell her the riddle or they would burn her father's house down with her in it. She goes to Samson weeping, claiming he did not really love her, that he really hated her because he would not tell her the answer to this riddle. She continued crying and nagging him for the answer to the riddle. He can't take it any longer, and he tells her the riddle. Still during the seventh day, the Philistine guests returned to Samson and announced, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. He knew these men got the answer from his wife. And by the way, then as today, calling a woman as a, he a heifer is a pejorative. Now Samson goes south to Ashkelon without his wife. He's still plenty angry with her for giving up the answer to this riddle. There he kills 30 men and steals 30 changes of remnant that he needed to pay off that wager. To put an epilogue to this little story, Samson returns to his father-in-law with a young goat to make amends and get his wife back. His father-in-law tells him that he thought he hated his wife, so he gave her to the best man. He then offers Samson his younger daughter as a replacement. Samson leaves alone. Now consumed with anger, Samson catches 300 foxes, ties their tail together, and sets them on fire. They run through the nearby cornfields, igniting the ripe corn, vineyards, and olive groves. This man does not look like a God-fearing servant. This is personal revenge. It has nothing to do with God's commission to deliver Israelite from the Philistines. The cycle continues with the Philistines. Upon learning of Samson's treachery, they return and burn down his father-in-law's house with Samson's wife inside. Now, upon learning he's now a widower, Samson goes on a killing mission of great magnitude. There is widespread alarm throughout the land among the Philistines and the Israelites. The Philistines make a bloody raid on Lehi. The fearful Israelites, in an attempt to assuage the Philistines' anger, come to Samson and accuse him of being against them. They want accommodation, not confrontation. After assuring Samson that they would not harm him, he agrees to let the Israelites bind him up and deliver him to the uh, Philistines at Lehi. As the Philistines approached, the Spirit of God rushed upon Samson. The ropes that bound him burst into flames and fell off. Samson picks up a nearby donkey's jawbone and kills 1,000 Philistines. He's now thirsty and calls upon the Lord, claiming, 
that the Lord has granted him salvation, he should not now allow him to die of thirst. Despite his life spiraling downward in sin, God answers his plea, causing water to flow from a hollow place. As he drank, his spirit returned and he was revived. Sadly, though, Samson's descent and sin continues as he goes to a prostitute in Gaza. The Philistine learned of his presence there and rushed to the prostitute's house. He escaped with his life while carrying the city gates 40 miles on his back just as a prank. Now Samson falls in love with Delilah from the valley of Sorek. The lords of the Philistines find out about their relationship. They secretly come to Delilah and tell her to sweet-talk him and find out the great secret of his strength and how they may overpower him. Each promises to give her 1,100 pieces of silver for her betrayal. During their next romantic soiree, she asked Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and what you may be bound to afflict you. Teasingly, Samson responds that if he is bound with seven fresh bowstrings, he will be unable to free himself. During their next date, she binds him up with these bowstrings. The Philistine lords are apparently lurking nearby as Delilah tells Samson, the Philistines are coming. Samson easily breaks the bindings. Delilah is angry that Samson has lied to her. She again asks him what can bind him so he can't free himself. Samson offers that if she binds him with fresh ropes, he will be unable to free himself. Delilah then binds up Samson with fresh ropes. Again, she tells him, the Philistines are coming. Samson easily breaks these ropes. While the text does not tell us, I suspect that these tying sessions must have taken place over a few days. Now, Delilah is really miffed about Samson's repeated trickery. She demands to know how he can successfully be bound. Samson tells her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair into the web of a loom, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But, and when he awoke, he pulled out the batten of the web from the loom. Then she said he cannot possibly love her when he has not given his complete heart and trust to her. She continues pestering him until, quote, his soul is vexed to death, unquote. He then tells her the secret of his slang. He only tells her that as a Nazarite, no razor has ever come upon his head, and if he is shaven, he will lose his strength. He never mentions the source of that strength. Now here's a clear example, one of the most popular sins of the world. Illicit sex has destroyed many men and women. This is why Samson lost his strength. The Holy Spirit's anointing had left him. Delilah then calls forth the Philistines who are lurking nearby. While Samson is asleep, she gets her 1,100 pieces of silver from each of those leaders and has a man shave his head. She awakens him and calls forth the Philistines. Without the strength of the Holy Spirit, Samson was subdued and bound. They then put out his eyes and lead him to prison. 
Samson was broken. He was defeated. Now, how tragic. What a great self-delusion as Samson still believed he could free himself. He perverts God's grace into false self-sufficiency. None of us alone can ever free ourselves from sin. Like Samson, we can only be free when we surrender all of ourselves to God. Only then will the Holy Spirit indwell us and give us the power to be truly free. Yes, Samson went down to the Philistine country, yet he only began a mission for Israel. Instead of completely delivering to his people using his great powers, he was preoccupied with playing tricks and having sex with Delilah and a prostitute. His revenge on the Philistines was personal. He initially played with Delilah, having fun, deceiving, and teasing. But Delilah, the wily seductress, leads Samson down the primrose path of sex and has her way. She impatiently and cleverly weakens his will until he tells her the truth of his power. Samson never raised an army. He never did anything militarily or spiritually significant. Samson knew about sex, but ignored God's command for a God-centered marital love. Today, he would fit nicely in today's culture. This man made a fool of himself with Delilah's help. It was Kipling, Rudyard Kipling, who described it thus. A fool there was and made his prayer, even as you and I, to a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. We called her the woman who did not care. But the fool, he called her his lady fair, even as you and I. This is from the first stanza of his poem, The Vampire. Samson delivered Delilah. Samson deceived Delilah, pardon me, and he betrayed her. Samson's hair began to regrow in prison as the Philistine lords celebrate his capture. They offered up sacrifices to their god, Dagon. By the way, this is the same Dagon, a stone carving that fell twice during the night before the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, the second time it was found with its arms and head severed, but I digress. The Philistines then praised their god for delivering Samson into their hands. They called forth Samson from prison to entertain them. It was a packed house of over 3,000 people, plus the lords and standing room only on the roof. A boy placed Samson between two pillars in the palace which supported the entire temple. Samson then prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine for my two eyes. As he pushed the pillars apart, causing the entire temple to collapse around him, he said, let me die with the Philistines. All were killed, which was more than he had killed in his entire life. Samson was blessed with great power, yet he ends up a tragic figure with a life full of would'ves, could'ves, and should'ves. Like Jesus, Samson was a Nazarite, 
Both Samson and Jesus' births were foretold by an angel. Their lives were intended to be holy, devoted to God. Both were empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out a specific plan of redemption and salvation. It's a stark contrast, though, as we look at Samson, who lived a life of sin. Jesus' life was sinless. Samson is now gone, but Jesus is still with all who call him Lord today. Consider Jesus on the cross. With outstretched arms, pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Samson, with outstretched arms, prayed for the power for personal revenge. Yet Samson's life does point out for us the need for a perfect redeemer, a savior, Jesus Christ. While Samson's story is sad without any signs of redemption, I believe it has four important commands for Christians today. It's a story of God's call for humility and steadfastness to him. It's also a caution not to be distracted by this world. Finally, it's a warning to all of the danger of self-absorbed pride that will always lead to a great fall. Samson's story challenges us as Christians about the degree which we are serving our King, Christ Jesus. Are we doing what is right in our eyes and thus creating our own vision of Christianity? Or are we relying on Scripture to know what really pleases God? We're now living in a different age. In Old Testament times, the Spirit of God came upon men and women to accomplish a specific work then left them. That's not true today. David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 11, Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. No Christian will ever have to pray that prayer. The instant you pray that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You are in God's family. But it is possible to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit until he absolutely becomes almost operative in our lives. Remember, God can use unbelievers as well as backsliding Christians to do his plan for his glory. There's nothing God cannot do. I believe there are Christians today who have played and toyed with sin so long that never again will the Spirit of God use them. God tells us in Matthew 15, 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's also a clear message here for those that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You can hear the good news of salvation in Christ, and you can trifle with it for years until the that comes that fateful day when it's too late. As long as you have a breath in your chest, that God's mercy is there for you. If we reject Christ as our Lord and Master of our lives, then we will come under God's judgment. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, will you admit that deep down inside, there's a void, a yearning to get right with God. 
the world is full of stuff that that void will never be filled with. There is a sweet peace knowing you have that eternal assurance of salvation. It can only be filled by giving your life to Christ Jesus. Come to him in prayer and by faith claim what he did for you on the cross. He is the risen Savior for all who call him Lord. Claim him now as your Lord and Savior. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you somehow saw me worthy to represent you. I pray that my words were pleasing to you in every way. I pray that they are heard and understood by everyone here. Gird us all up, Lord. Keep us focused on Jesus. Cause us to be more and more like him by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. If you're able to.